Ruth chapter 4. Boaz went straight to the public square and took his place there. Before long, the closer relative, the one mentioned earlier by Boaz, strolled by. Step aside, old friend, said Boaz. Take a seat. The man sat down. Boaz then gathered ten of the town elders together and said, Sit down here with us. We've got some business to take care of. And they sat down. Boaz then said to his relative, The piece of property that belonged to our relative Elimelech is being sold by his widow Naomi, who was just returned from the country of Moab. I thought you ought to know about it. Buy it back if you want it. You can make it official in the presence of those sitting here and before the town elders. You have First Redeemer rights. If you don't want it, tell me, so I'll know where I stand. You're first in line to do this. I'm next after you. He said, I'll buy it. Then Boaz added, You realize, don't you, that when you buy the field from Naomi, you also get Ruth the Moabite, the widow of our dead relative, along with the Redeemer responsibility to have children with her to carry on the family inheritance. Then the relative said, Oh, I can't do that. I jeopardize my own family's inheritance. You go ahead and buy it. You can have my rights. I can't do it. In the olden times in Israel, this is how they handled official business regarding matters of property and an inheritance. A man would take off his shoe and give it to the other person. This was the same as an official seal or personal signature in Israel. So when Boaz's redeemer relative said, go ahead and buy it, he signed the deal by pulling off his shoe. Boaz then addressed the elders and all the people in the town square that day. You are witnesses today that I have bought from Naomi everything that belonged to Elimelech and Kilian and Malan, including responsibility for Ruth, the foreigner, the widow of Malan. I'll take her as my wife and keep the name of the deceased alive along with his inheritance. The memory and reputation of the deceased is not going to disappear out of this family or from his hometown. To all of this, you are witnesses this very day. All the people in the town square that day, backing up the elders, said, Yes, we are witnesses. May God make this woman who is coming into your household like Rachel and Leah, the two women who built the family of Israel. May God make you a pillar in Ephrathah and famous in Bethlehem. With the children God gives you from this young woman, May your family rival the family of Perez, the son Tamar bore to Judah. Boaz married Ruth. She became his wife. Boaz slept with her. By God's gracious gift, she conceived and had a son. The town women said to Naomi, Blessed be God, he didn't leave you without family to carry on your life. May this baby grow up to be famous in Israel. He'll make you young again. He'll take care of you in old age. And this daughter-in-law who has brought him into the world and loves you so much, why, she's worth more to you than seven sons. Naomi took the baby and held him in her arms, cuddling him, cooing over him, waiting on him hand and foot. The neighborhood women started calling him Naomi's baby boy, but his real name was Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse and Jesse, the father of David. This is the family tree of Perez. Perez had Hezron. Hezron had Ram. Ram had Aminadab. Aminadab had Nashon. Nashon had Salmon. Salmon had Boaz. Boaz had Obed. Obed had Jesse. And Jesse had David. We're seeing the end of this love story. Man meets woman, and now they get married. And the process by which that took place is an amazing story. We opened up this book with Naomi and Orpah and Ruth as empty, lonely. In fact, Naomi wanted to be called Mara. She was bitter. Things in her life had went south quickly. And so we're ending this book with 
a completely different picture where God stepped in and redeemed this situation, redeemed this person, redeemed this family. And it ends with a different picture of a lady who's full of life. There's a son that's born and it's a beautiful picture of redemption. We're going to walk through that today and we're going to see. But in order for that to take place, a man had to step into the picture. He saw this woman who was interested in him. She made herself known. She got in his way. She didn't chase him down. Now he must be the one to pursue her. He must be the one to fight for her. He must say, I am interested in you. She made her intentions well aware in front of him. And she said, I am interested. We saw last week. And now he's going to become a man on a mission to seal the deal. It's a beautiful story of two people meeting in a grain field, acting upon what they know is from God and sealing the deal and coming to a point where they get married. It's a beautiful picture of God turning something that's dead, something that's in ashes, something that's dust, that he returns it and turns it into something beautiful. It's a man on a mission. Boaz is a man on a mission. He sees this woman And he says, I want you, I will fight for you, I will pursue you. I love watching when that happens to a man. When a man sees a woman and he realizes this could be the woman for me for the rest of my life. This man takes on a whole different persona. This man takes on a whole different mission in life. He wants to make his intentions known and he wants her to know that she's worth the pursuit. Let me just preface everything I'm going to say by saying this today. To married men too. Men, don't ever stop pursuing your wives. Don't ever stop pursuing. Don't ever stop fighting for them. Just because you you got them at the early stages and you conquered. We have this conquer mentality. Hunt them down, put them in our game bag, we're finished. That's not the picture that I see in scripture. It's continue to chase them down, chase them around the house. Let them know that you are still madly in love with them. Here is a man that sees a woman who's available. And he says, you're the one for me. She made her intentions known. And he's a man on mission. Let me explain, give you a a synopsis in my life when Ann and I were going through this journey together of, I I told you last week how we met. She transferred from Michigan State and I came to Grace, saw her on campus. And I realized this woman was beautiful inside and out. And I realized that she was a person that I wanted to pursue. She was a woman worth chasing. She was a woman worth fighting for. And so I went on this pursuit of her and still am on this pursuit of her. But in the early days, our second year at Grace College, I realized that, that, that I had these deep feelings more than just like that I was growing deeply, deeply, madly in love with Anne. And so any chance I had to express that or show that, I, I showed that to her. And during our second year of college together, we were, Christmas break was on the scene. And so Anne um, went home up to Michigan, but on her trip home, she stayed there. She went to Hanover, Pennsylvania. I'm from Hagerstown, Maryland. It's about 90 miles away. And so she called me over the telephone. This is back before we had cell phones where you could chart out a GPS and follow a little blue dot to where you were supposed to go. This was back before Facebook, where you could interact and instant message each other, even on email. This was back before Twitter. This was back when we had floppy disks, even five and a quarter inch floppy disks. You guys remember those? Like, these things like gigantic junior high students. What the world is a five and a quarter? You don't even want to go back there. It was horrible. Just, they, they were big and they, they held zero memory. But this was back when we had dial-up modems. You remember those dial-up modems? Like, and when they first came out, it was like 13.3, and we thought that was blazing fast. And, and when, you, when you went online, it was like... <laughs> like these sounds came out of your computer. It's like, whoa, what's going on? And, 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 and so you remember, like, you couldn't... Like, if you were on the Internet and the phone rang, it kicked you off the Internet. You, you remember those days? Just I remember the early days even here at Grace where Maya and I were serving together. If, if one of us was on the Internet, we'd yell, hey, get off the Internet. It's like, get on the phone. It was just... Praise God for advancement in technology. So this was way before then. This is back when we actually read a map, okay? You had it in your vehicle. Anne told me that she was at her grandma's house. 
And I was falling madly in love with this incredible girl from, uh, from Troy, Michigan. And so I wanted to spend time with her. And so I said, well, can you tell me where you're at? Where it's at? She said, I'm in Hanover. I'm at my grandmother's house. And I said, well, tell me a little about the landmarks that are there. Because, you know, I could drive 90 miles up the road. And she said, well, I know we went by a car lot. So grandma lives somewhere near a car lot. So, oh, that's good information for a man that's going to find where she's at. And I said, can you give me a little more information? She said, well, grandma lives up on a hill. I know you go up this hill and, and, and it's off the road a little bit. And, and so car lot up a hill, just go drive the hand over and look for a hill and look for a car lot. But then she said, kind of just silly deal. She said, Jim, by the way, she said, grandma's house has a green candle in the window. So, oh, green candle in the window. I'll just drive and look for a car lot, drive a hill and look for the green candle. You know, just so seriously, I jumped in my car. I didn't have cell phones. Man, I was a man on a mission. If I meant I knocked on every single door in Hanover, I was going to do it. Drove to Hanover, Pennsylvania. Drove around and, and there was a car lot. In fact, there was a couple of car lots. If I remember saying it was a Ford car lot. And so drove around, went down the street and wow, this thing kind of goes up a hill. So driving up this hill and, and going, trying to find where Ann's at and went up the hill. And so I started literally looking for houses with green candles in them. Driving down the road, green candles. There was a green candle. So I drove in the driveway and figured, well, mom's knocking on the door. I knocked on the door and there was Anne. She said, I'll marry you. No, she didn't really say that. She was just, just like, well, she was glad that little fabrication there, but it, it, it makes for a good story. But I was willing to do whatever it took to spend 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, an evening with her. I was a man that was on a mission because it was obvious that I cared deeply about her. It was obvious that I wanted her badly. I was willing to drive 90 minutes up the road with no clue of ever being in Hanover before in my life and knock on every single door if that's what it meant to be with the green candles. And I found her. Boaz is in the same place here. This woman appears to him in the middle of a green field after he's worked hard all day uncovers his blanket and lays it on his feet and says, hey, I'm available. Boaz is a smart man. And so he tells her, he says, he says, Ruth, you stay here until the morning. I'm not the closest kinsman redeemer. We talked about that last week, but I'm going to do whatever I can to win you over. So she got in the way. You heard me say about getting in the way. Let me just put a little preface there. Ladies, when I say get in the way, I said if he's a baseball player, you sit in the baseball stands. If he's in a Bible study, you go to his Bible study. If, if, If he likes the Washington Redskins, you go to the website and learn about the Washington Redskins. And I tell you, you know, all those things. But listen, you're not chasing him. He's the one that does the chasing. He's the one that does the pursuing. But make your intentions known. Get in his way. Let him know that you're available. Now, men, like I said last week, once you know she's available, you better get with it. You heard me say last week, take your stupid off and chase her down. She's available. Boaz is about to do that. And he is about to fight for her right away and always. It's a beautiful story of a love match made in heaven. And it's about to see or come to fruition. Turn to Ruth chapter four. And if you need a Bible today, hold your hand up. Our ushers will put one in your hand. By the way, I heard some stories this week of ladies trying to get in the way of some men. It was interesting. You should have heard the stories I heard this week. So guys, I hope you took your stupid off and notice Ruth chapter four. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will put one in your hand. Let's read Ruth chapter 4, and let's open up with verses 1 and 2. Stand with me, and we'll read it together. Ruth chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Let's read this. Ready? Read. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there. When the kinsman redeemer he had mentioned came along, Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. You may have a seat. Boaz realizes that he has a chance to pursue this woman. In fact, Boaz told her in chapter 3, look back at chapter 3 and look at verse 13. He's a man of his word. 
Look at chapter 3 and verse 13. This is when they were in the grain field. And he says this to her. When she made her intentions known or he found out that she was available, he said that stay here for the night. And in the morning, he wants to redeem good. Let him redeem. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until the morning. So he says, hey, there's somebody else out there that might have to redeem you. But I want you to stay here until the morning so that you're not walking out in the middle of the night and someone thinks you're a prostitute. I want to respect and, and, and protect your reputation. Leave in the morning when it's safer. But while you're leaving, I want you to know that I'm going to do whatever it takes to, to make sure that you're my lady. And so there's this sense that Boaz is about to fight for her right away. And so... Truth is this, he's a man of his word. In chapter 3 and verse 13, he says, I'm going to go find out the details. And if there's any options in these details, I'm coming to get you. He's a man of his word. Let me just pause and pull away and take a sidebar here and say that. Men, many of us have committed in vows to our wives. We said things like this, that I will love you and cherish you and care for you. And I'll never leave you until death separates us. So listen to me, to the person that you're married to today. Those vows are supposed to mean something. They're supposed to mean that you follow through, that you continue to love her, that you continue to chase her down, that you continue to protect her. It doesn't mean that there's an option. When a free agent appears on the scene, you don't go pursue her. It's this is the woman that you are to stay with the rest of your life. So remember that. Not only is Boaz ready to do this for this single available woman, but we're supposed to do the same, be men of our word. So Boaz is ready to take care of this situation. Look back at chapter four. It opens up with this phrase. Meanwhile, Boaz went. He's a man of action. Boaz is a man of action. I can't stress how important this is. Think about this in accomplishing God's will. There is this time in our lives where God is speaking to us and we're listening. And so we're patiently waiting for an answer. And we've been praying. We have other people praying and we're saying, God, give me an answer. God, tell me what to do. There's this sense where we can finally see what God wants us to do. And in this case, Boaz recognizes his answer is there. Now, we don't see him just continue to stay in the grain field. He's a man of action. He steps in and says, all right, God, I'm going to do what I need to do to make this happen. And so often in our lives, we, we have, we're people of prayer. Sometimes you've heard me to say we move, need to move from prayer into action because God sends us these opportunities our way. He's saying, here, go do this. And we're waiting. God, can you send me another sign? God, can you send me another sign? God, can you just kind of do this? There's no way that a, a husband and wife will ever go to the altar by just God just doing everything. There comes a chance where we have responsibility to follow through too. And so Boaz is a man of action here. Meanwhile, Ruth is waiting. She's back home with Naomi. Her shawl was full of food. He's trying to win over the mother-in-law. Remember we saw last week, guys, that's smart. Went over the mother-in-law when you're trying to win over the girl too. So there he was. Food took her home. She's on pens and needles waiting. And Boaz is about to come through. Let me also say this, guys. If you have interest in a single girl that's available... And you know that something has happened to you where you know that you've been praying and God brings this person in your path. Do something about it. Don't keep praying. God, can you bring someone in my path? And it's like, well, there she is. And God, can you bring someone in my path? Well, there she is. God, can you bring someone in my path? And she's in your path going like this. I'm here. Men, you must act on it. We must be men of action. The man who was supposed to be the kinsman redeemer here just happens to come along. Look again, look at chapter four. It says this in verse one. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there. When the kinsman redeemer he had mentioned came along, Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sat down. So he went over and sat down. Now keep in mind here, Boaz would have never sealed this deal if he didn't get up and go into action. You see, God was already working behind the scenes with this kinsman redeemer that was already in the town. It just didn't happen, by the way. This man is there. 
Boaz puts himself in a position at the town gate and he looks up and it just so happened that this man came walking through. No, God was working behind the scenes, but Boaz needed to step out in faith and he sees this potential kinsman redeemer in his path. So he says to him, look what he says. Boaz says, come over here, my friend. Today's modern vernacular. Hey, dude, what's up? This guy stops, comes in and talks to him. And he, he begins to ask him these questions. He took the lead here, guys. Look what happens. He's the leader. He's already shown his headship. He's already shown that he's going to be the spiritual leader of this relationship. Look what happens in verse two. Boaz then took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. Now, seriously, think about it. Bam, 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 bam. A man in charge. Sit here. We're going to seal this deal. I love this woman. I'm going to try to win her over. She's not getting away. And listen to me. Let's take care of it now. We're not waiting for another sign from God. Some of you are still waiting for signs from God. And he's saying, hey, I've sent you 400 signs. Get up and do something. Boaz is acting on this. He is going to find that this will end in an unbelievable way. He took the lead. Once again, man, I can't stress how important it is for you to pursue and fight for your wives and future wives. A woman is not supposed to chase you down, but just get in your way. You are supposed to seal the deal. Make your intentions known too, guys. Let me think through this. And if you, have, if you have interest in a single, guys, if you're single and you see this single girl and you have interest in her and you want to ask her out, please don't text her and ask her out. That's like the wimpiest, most cowardly way of being afraid of a no. Seriously, don't text her and say, have you go out with me, baby, and wait till she comes back. It's just, and don't Facebook message her and say, hey, you want to go out tonight? And don't tweet her. Open your mouth, look her eyeball to eyeball, Let her see your wobbly knees and your slurred speech and say, hey, can we go out tonight? When she sees that, she'll be moved by that. Or you want a definite date? Here it is, guy. Here's the best way to seal the deal. You heard it here at Grace Community Church. If you see someone who's getting in your way and your knees begin to wobble, she loves Jesus Christ. You love Jesus Christ. And you realize, wow, she could be the one. Go to her and say this, that God spoke to you. And just pause a little bit. God spoke to me. And then say this. That you are supposed to go out with me. (laughs) It's pretty simple. Pause a little bit and then say this. And if you don't, you're committing the sin unto death. (laughs) There it is. That's the best pickup line I can give you guys. There it is. And while you're at it, tell her, I got a Bible and I got a job. I'm telling you what, there it is. It's the best pickup line there is. That's good information, guys. Let me know how it goes this week, by the way, okay? But don't text me, Facebook message me, or tweet me. So Boaz takes the 10 elders in front of them. This is a legal proceeding. He knew how to handle, he had researched this. He wanted this woman. He was ready to seal the deal. And so he sets in front of it. And by the way, he was expecting this to work out for him. He was expecting a miracle. But that's hope. That's faith. He didn't kind of walk into the situation like, well, I know how this is going to go. Holy cow, this isn't going to work. He's going to come along. You're going to take it. I don't have a chance. No, he's bringing the elders in. He's going to work. He's going to have plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D. He's going to have every plan there is. He's going to do whatever he can to win this woman over. His confidence was in God and his faith was oozing all over the place. He says, I will not blow this opportunity. The woman of my dreams that makes my knees wobble is available. And I want to stand in the background and say, go, Bo, go. That's the picture that's happening here. Let me just back up a little bit and tell you some of my journey. So that last week you didn't walk away and think Ann was chasing me. Everywhere. Listen to me. That woman knocked, made me weak when I saw her. And so I was very, very interested and pursued her and, and chased her down. And I can remember leaving at Christmas my freshman year after meeting this, this beautiful woman inside and out. 
and, and, and taking some classes with her and recognizing, man, she, she is just incredible. And you know my story. I was engaged to be married to someone else. And, and so I was kind of like shut off to women. I was like, I don't want to go out with another woman the rest of my life. I, I don't want to feel like this the rest of my life. But then Anne came along and everything changed. I was imagining how quickly that changed. So I went home over Christmas my, my freshman year. And while I was home, I was offered a job. I worked in the post office prior to going to college. I had a career job. I had a great job. I was, I, when I went to college, I had $17,000 in the bank. I had a car. I had money. And I was on a career path in the post office. But God got a hold of my heart, and I resigned from the post office and headed to Grace College for ministry. But when I went home after my freshman year, my freshman year was rocky. It was difficult. It was challenging. There was a lot of things going on new to me in my life. So when I went home, I got a call from the post office in Hagerstown, Maryland, my former supervisor, and he said, Jim, we have an opening, and we, I don't know what your first freshman year was like, blah, blah, blah. We'd like to offer you this job, and we, we'd like to give you a job that, that not only a good job, but it, and quite frankly, it was one of the best jobs in the post office. They wanted to groom me for a supervisor in the post office. And so I'm sitting here thinking, holy cow. God, I felt like you called me to this. And what's this thing appearing on the scenes for? You do what you do with all those things. You test it against scripture. You go to the multiple counselors and you ask for wisdom. And then you think about Ann Bortner. But that wasn't, that was just, that's what it was for me. It's like that third element helped. And I thought, man, there's this girl that I really like. And I like to get to know better. And be quite frank, one of the reasons I went back to grace was I sought God. But I wanted to get to know Ann better. And praise God, I didn't have my stupid on then. I didn't, and I went back. And this is the rest of the story. But you must act upon what you know is in front of you. So he tells his elders to sit here. We're taking care of this right now. And by the way, he gets thrown a curveball right away. But listen, when you know God has you going after something, you know God's taking you down this path, don't let the first obstacle that appears on the scene stopped you or thwart your forward motion. Don't give up early. Look what happens in verse three. Look what it says. Then he said, Boaz, to the kinsman redeemer who had just had happened to come along. Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here, who I told to sit here, and in the presence of the elders of my people, if you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, what's he say? What's the two words? Tell me. So I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you. And I am next in line. Let me just pause and give a little context here, which I found it very interesting. This was a small town. This wasn't like a metropolis where there were millions and millions and millions of people. This is a small town. And word was already around that Naomi had moved back. There's no doubt in my mind that there was this lady named Ruth, her daughter-in-law, that had moved back with her and that both of their husbands were dead. I mean, it's like if someone from New Paris moved in, they'd be talking about the gas station that next Monday. It's, it, the news was there. So this next-in-line kinsman redeemer knew it. There's no doubt in my mind that he knew it. And not only did he know it, he knew that there was two women who were starving, who were hungry, who were desperate so badly that she had to go out into the fields and glean grain. I mean, they were hungry and he was supposed to be the kinsman redeemer. He was supposed to step up and, and redeem the situation like Deuteronomy 25 talks about. But he was a coward. There's no doubt in my mind that he knew this. And so he just kind of pushed it away and hope it would go away. But Boaz comes on the scene and says, I'm going to make sure that this woman is mine. And I'm going to go to this kinsman redeemer. I'm going to do what the law says of the day. I won't break the law, but I'm going to make sure I can handle this and seal the deal. So he tells him what he's supposed to do. This man says this. Look at verse 4 again. Look at the bottom half of verse 4. Boaz says, but if you will not tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you. And I am next in line. Now, look what, look what this potential kinsman redeemer, this cowardly man says. He says, I will what? What's the next two words? Redeem it. Whoa. So there's Boaz. It's like, well, there goes my chance. Thanks. See you later. Is that what he did? I mean, he could have just said, obstacle. 
man, God, why did you send this? It should be easy, God. Nothing in your will should be difficult, should it? I mean, it should, there shouldn't be any obstacles. When I'm walking with God, it should just be easy. There shouldn't be anything that I have to climb over or bust through or, or pray down or, or get others to, to join me in this battle. God, your will, your way, that narrow way is a simple way. Absolutely not. This obstacle appears on the scene. And as best as he knows, if we stop the story right here, seriously, we could stop the story right here where many stop the story and refuse to continue to press on because it gets a little difficult and it gets a little hard. And he could have stopped and let this man redeem the property of Naomi and get Naomi and get Ruth. So the man says, you know what? I'll redeem it. Boaz, on the other hand, genuinely loved Ruth. And there was something in his heart. He knew in his heart that this was the one. Even if everything else around him was saying, no, she isn't. Even if it seemed very difficult. Even if there was someone else who said, I will do this. Even if another man appeared on the scene. He knew that this was the woman. And she knew that he was the man. He wanted Ruth and he wanted her badly. He could have said, well, God, I guess it's not supposed to happen like so many of us do. When we come up against something in the midst of following hard after God. No way. He was not going down without a fight. Hear me today again. Some of the things you want the most in life will require the most work and effort on your behalf. Hear me again. You need you need to just chew on this this week. Some of the things that you want the most will require the most work and effort on your behalf. It just will. It's just how it happens. That's God wants us to depend on him. And there's some things that we learn through that difficult, trying, treacherous journey. And often in a potential marriage relationship, listen to me, those of you who are thinking about getting married or engaged or prospective mate is with you. Often in a potential marriage relationship, there will be some major obstacles to overcome. But listen to me. This is when you do not back down. You get the obstacle out of the way. Nothing good, really good, comes easily. It might mean that you might have to prove yourself to a father-in-law who doesn't really think that you're worthy. It might mean that you have to prove yourself to a mother-in-law who says, you're not married to my son. He's too good for you. It might mean that financially you have to go get two jobs to support the family. It might mean that you have to move somewhere and give up something to make it happen. There might be something really challenging to do, this huge obstacle. I've seen it happen over and over and over. It might mean that you go through one of the most difficult relationship times in this relationship. And you're like, man, this thing is just going south. What's going on? It might mean that you run through that difficult time to see that you really love each other. So don't bail out if you believe that's what God wants. And she believes that's what God wants. You follow hard after God, you become more like him and you continue to pursue each other. And when the obstacle appears like it does for Boaz, you go to plan B and you continue to press forward until God says no. By the way, men, one of the obstacles that often comes is because we care about each other. We have friends like, you know, you find out your buddy, he's kind of interested in her too. And like, well, I don't want to hurt his feelings. You got to get over that one, guys. Listen to me, men will get over it. Just because another guy has interests and he's not necessarily dating her, just because he has interests in her, listen, if you have interests in her, don't let the interests of another guy get in the way of this relationship. The dream girl that you want probably deserves you anyhow. So go for her. Boaz has quite an obstacle in his way. There is a man who will redeem her. This is a wise man, though. Look at verse 5. He already had a plan B in store. And look what he does. This is a smart man. Verse 5. And then it says this. Then Boaz... On the day you buy the land from Naomi, he tells this redeemer, and from Ruth, the Moabitess, you acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. This is a wise man. Do you see what he's doing here? He's looking at this kinsman redeemer who's a Hebrew. Hebrew. 
And Hebrews often did marry Moabites, but they did in one situation right here. And so he says, hey, by the way, when you buy this land and redeem it back like a kinsman redeemer is supposed to do, you get a foreigner with you. That's what he's saying. And not only a foreigner, but a woman who potentially, he didn't know, worships the sun god, worships ant hills. He's trying to paint this ugly picture of Ruth, who is a sold out follower of God. He doesn't give him full information. This is a smart man. Not only does he do that, but then he throws his trump card. And look what he says. You acquire the land from the dead man's what? What's the word? Widow in order to maintain the name of the property. Seriously, here's what he says. And by the way, when you buy the property and it has a really nice house on it. So I want to take you and show it to you. If you're really interested in it, you're getting a Moabitess who's a foreigner who worships another God. And, and by the way, when you do redeem this redeemer boy, here's what comes with it. So you go to the house. He says, I want to tell you about this house. It's a really nice house. It's got a white picket fence around it. And it's got lots of animals and, and, and lush fruit trees. And he says, when you walk into the house, the, you know, the first floor is really nice. It's got five or six bedrooms. He said, but when you walk downstairs, just want to let you know, by the way, when you do this, this is what comes in. There's this room downstairs that's back in the corner and it's got, it's got its own kitchen and it's got its own bathroom. And it comes with the mother-in-law. Smart man, isn't it? Not only are you getting the woman, but you're getting the mother-in-law with it. This is a shrewd dude. It is. By the way, he already knew about Naomi. He knew she was a phenomenal lady, godly woman. But Redeemer Boy didn't know that. So he says, hey, you can have the house. And by the way, don't go down in the basement because that's from mama-in-law. Look at the response next. Look at this response here. So he says this, there's a mother-in-law, then says in verse six, look at verse six says, at this, after finding about the, the bedroom apartment downstairs in the basement, the kinsman redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it. <laughs> Man, think about that. I mean, just immediately. It wasn't even like he, well, let me pray and ask God, not taking the mother-in-law and not taking the person who worships the sun God. This was a smart, smart, smart man. He says, because I might endanger my estate, you redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Bam. Boaz is going to get the girl. Seriously, when you think about this. Guys, there will come obstacles along the way. And you know what you need to do? If you believe this is the woman for you and you've prayed about it and she believes you're the man for her. What needs to happen is you need to flick your obstacles out of the way. And that's what's happening here. So last week I told you in Deuteronomy chapter 25, what happens as a result of these deals, what was supposed to happen. You take the sandal off. Remember, you take the sandal off and you go to this dude who's supposed to redeem. If he doesn't redeem, you slap him upside the head with the sandal and you spit in his face. Look what happens in verse 7. Look what verse 7 says. Verse 7 says, now in earlier times in Israel for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. That was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So verse 8 says this. So the kinsman redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself. Cha-ching, he's thinking. And he removed his sandal. By the way, you know what that meant to him? That meant he's going to get the girl. By the way, can you picture him running back? The scripture doesn't have this, but he's got the sandal in his backpack running back. I mean, that's the picture here. It's a Jim Brown paraphrase, but that's probably what took place. And Ruth was waiting on him. This is a smart guy right here. Then it says this in verse 9. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech. Kilion and Malon. By the way, probably one of the reasons he bought the property is because she probably couldn't afford it anymore. So he's redeeming and buying it out that was probably being ready to be foreclosed over. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess. Once again, he says, it's Malon's widow as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. So that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the town records. Today, you are my witnesses. 
Boaz is tasting the thrill of victory. Chapter 2 and verse 1 said he's a man of standing. He's a noble man. We found out that Ruth, not only was he, but she was a woman of integrity. And so a man of integrity and a woman of integrity who desperately loved God are a perfect match made in heaven. Boaz is a noble man. And so not only does he take care of her, but his concern is for the name of the dead husband. And we found out last week that when the child was born between the next couple, that that child would take the name of the man who had died to continue to carry his name on. And, I, you know, I said last week, there's something beautiful about what family is doing for each other here. So he steps in and he's about ready to take care of the situation. And when his name will be talked about 3,000 years from now, it'll be worth gold. And Boaz's name is. I mean, seriously, we looked last week in Matthew chapter 1, and the line of Jesus Christ is Boaz. Had he not stepped in, had he not followed through, had he not listened to God, had he not had a plan B, had he not overcome that obstacle, then the line of Christ would not include Boaz. Proverbs 22.1 says it this way, a good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than gold or, or silver. As we're wrapping this up, this has a beautiful ending to it. Ruth is back home. Boaz has the sandal. He's sealing the deal legally in front of all these elders that are there. He knows. And he realizes that a child could be born. But there's a problem here. Ruth is barren, the text tells us. Barren means she can't have kids. She was married before and had no children. She could not conceive. So there was no way that he could carry the name of the dead man or the, her husband because she was barren. Yet God is about to redeem not only them, but he's ready to redeem her womb. By the way, there's only some things that God can teach us on the other side of yes. And the other side of yes is good, really good. What do I mean by that? There's some situations that God has given us in life, but we have to step out and say, God, yes, I'm going to do it. Yes, God, even though it looks difficult. Yes, God, where I, I don't have all the answers. Yes, I, don't, I have uncertainty in this job. Yes, God, I don't know how long I'm going to be there. Yes, God, I don't know how long this is going to work, but I am stepping out and believing in faith that this is the path that you've put me on. This is the opportunity, and this is what I've been praying for. Here it is. There's the woman. I go. And so some of us spend all of our lives on the safe side of yes, it's easy. We're in control. And there are only certain things. I'm telling you, listen to me. There are only certain things that God can teach you on the other side of yes. And the other side of yes is a great place to live. Some never experienced that. They read reports of God coming through in big ways and they just give up too soon in the process because it's too hard. Look at verse 11. Then the elders and all those at the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Rachel and Leah had kids. Rachel and Leah were like stalwarts. They were like foundational women. Their children, they were like the Israelites. Women looked up to them. They were just blessed women. And it says, like Rachel and Leah who built, who together built up the house of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrata and be famous in Bethlehem. What? Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. May you have good standing. May you be wealthy. May you be famous. And may your wife have a child that's a blessed child. So Ruth is, or Boaz is hearing this and he's realizing, wow, she's barren, but there's a chance she might have a child. But remember the blessing that was placed on Ruth. Look back in chapter two. God is good on his word. Sometimes we read through this and we miss these things that God prophetically says through through people about what's about to happen. And in chapter two, in verse, we'll begin at verse 11. Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before. Verse 12, may the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And she's being rewarded. 
She's being redeemed by a man that not just doing out of obligation. And we saw if he was doing out of obligation, then he wouldn't have given her all that extra food. In fact, if he was doing out of obligation, he wouldn't, he would have stopped with the first obstacle that says, I will redeem her. If he didn't really love her, then he wouldn't follow through and went the extra mile. So not only is she being blessed, but she's being blessed by a man who loves God, who will care for her and fight for her and is pursuing her. Listen to me today. Our God is good on his word. And if he says that he can make all things beautiful and work all things out for good to those that love him, listen to me. It might seem bleak right now and it might seem hopeless right now, but you remain faithful and you do what you're supposed to do out of obedience. There will come a day when God will redeem your situation. Bank on it. In fact, listen to this in Romans chapter 8 and verse 32. Just listen to it. If God doesn't hesitate, to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son. Is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? Way too many Christ followers spend the majority of their lives on the wrong side of yes. Stop and consider how the story would have turned out if Boaz didn't say yes and Ruth didn't say yes to Naomi. This was a marriage made in heaven. Look at verse 13. Chapter 4 and verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Then he went to her. He slept with her. And the Lord enabled her to what? Conceive. A barren woman. And she gave birth to a son. And the woman named said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not let you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. You see, in the Old Testament, if you had seven sons, seven is the complete number. And if you had seven sons, it meant you were a blessed family. And what they're saying here is that she is worth seven sons to you because she is going to have a son who Naomi will be your kinsman redeemer. And we look at the end of this story. She's holding this baby on her lap and she is a blessed woman because she knows she will always be cared for. And her name and the, the God she loves will continue to be pressed on, passed on through this child. Yet it took the initiative of two people recognizing that in front of them was the person of their dreams. Ladies, let me say this again. Don't chase the man down, but get in his way. Men, pursue her, fight for her, remove every obstacle until she's yours and continue to pursue her for the rest of your marriage. By the way, I married one of these kind of incredible women. And I seriously mean that. God was working behind the scenes in my life and Anne's life too. And there were some big obstacles that, that were in the way. But by God's grace, we pressed on and, and we were able to overcome those obstacles. And God gave me the first round pick of the universe when it comes to women. And she has blessed me with three first round pick children. Look what happens next. 16 says, then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap and cared for him. The woman living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of whom? What's the name? David. And then it says this, this is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amminadab. And Amminadab, the father of Nashon. And Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David. And if you read on Matthew chapter 1, Jesus comes in this line. What an incredible picture of redemption. This book has such rich writing to it. Sometimes you miss it. And sometimes I don't stress it because it's really not that important. But I want to show you something beautiful in Hebrew. Turn to Ruth chapter 1. Keep your finger here. The author of the book worked hard at showing a 
a picture of redemption. In fact, he took it down to the very number of words. Look at Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem and and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women. One was Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husbands. We open up, literally. Now, this is really phenomenal and fantastic how the language is here. The first five verses of Ruth is the introduction. We have this picture of Ruth who's hopeless, desperate, dead men. She doesn't have a kinsman redeemer on the line. In fact, as you read on, you see that she wants to call herself Mars. She's bitter. It's a picture of dust. It's a picture of desperation. It's a picture of hopelessness. Look at the end, chapter four. Now look what this author does. The conclusion, verses 13 to to, to 17 say that now she has a son. Now she she has someone who will care for her. Now she has a daughter-in-law who's better than seven sons. And it says she has the woman in her, or the son in her lap and she's called blessed. It goes from empty to full. By the way, if you looked at this in Hebrew, in Ruth, Ruth chapter one, introduction, verses one to five. And you've looked at the conclusion in the Hebrew, Ruth chapter four, verses 13 to 17. The very same amount of words are used to the number in the introduction and the conclusion. God literally is saying in the language, I will redeem every single piece of this. It's a beautiful picture in the language. And from this line comes the savior of the universe. So what does that mean to us today as we wrap up this book? Here's what it means. There's hope for everyone in this room. No matter where you're at today, no matter how bleak your situation looks, no matter how much you messed up your life, no matter how badly you've screwed things up, God redeems things. God redeems situations. God redeems relationships. God redeems people. He even brings a redeemer, Jesus Christ, from this very line here. It's a picture that, hold on! Because God is about to make something beautiful from the ashes in your life. Never settle. Listen to me. Don't ever think that you have to settle. You heard me say this last week and I'll repeat it. Don't settle for a man that wants to use and abuse you and sleep with you before he's married. That man is not a man of God. Ladies, don't settle. God is working behind the scenes. And when we recognize that and when we jump into his path and into the obedient steps, he will redeem our situation. He makes all things beautiful. Lord, help us to walk away with that truth today. God, I pray that the agent of hope would be shot into the veins of hopeless situations today. And I pray, dear God, that we wouldn't bail out and that we would press on and that we would walk to the other side of yes and we would do whatever it takes to fulfill your will. Oh God, give us a picture of how you make all things beautiful. It's a story of redemption from the God who redeems. In Jesus' name, amen.